0: And welcome to the Mile End Club, a special bonus episode where we're looking at Wildbo's Pack Dice campaign, Mile End. I'm Ruben Morehouse.
1: And I'm Elliot Diebold.
0: Ah, and we're here to talk about Mile End. And only, what, six months after we promised that we would do this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this this episode has been like a week away from recording for for a solid two to three months yeah, now. It, yeah, it kept getting yeah. pushed back for one reason or another. I'm, I'm glad we've finally gotten to do it.
0: We're finally Um, here. We're finally in the Marland Club. Um, I guess we should do some housekeeping stuff first. Yeah.
1: Well, just so, so yeah, for those who aren't aware, this is something we promised to do during All Packed Up, which is the live stream we did to finish our previous show, uh, Deep Impact. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's another uh, thing we promised to do that we haven't yet done uh, from that. So stay tuned at the end of this episode if you're interested to learn more about where that's at. but yeah, you're right. There's, there's actually a lot of housekeeping to do before we actually get to talking about Myland, I think.
0: Yes, uh, because this is a weird thing. For those of you who aren't aware, Myland is a uh, pact dice, which is a packed- themed role-playing game, uh, campaign that Wabo ran with uh, a group of uh, seven God, I can't even remember six just read it. Six players. six.: Six players, um, each playing a different practitioner, um, and they go on a, a bit of an adventure. Uh, but because this is a role-playing game, it's kind of different to Wabo's normal format of stories, right? Um, so there's there's a few kind of quirks that I guess we should outline before we get into it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and so first and foremost, um, we're aiming this just for people who are up to date in pale as of where this episode's slotting in in Power <laughs> Reflections. As finishing arc um, four
0: is where we're up to. Yeah. Right
1: now, so. uh, and, and, you know, that, that's just because that's where most of our audience is at uh, right now. Um, and also, Pale has gotten to the point where, you know, you all sort of have an idea um, about, you know, stuff, general stuff about practitioners. Um, I, I will say there's, like, maybe what you could consider, like, general world spoilers in this, uh, but, you know, that's just maybe, like, some extra practitioner types that we haven't quite encountered in Pale. Um yeah. that said, some of these weren't in Pact either. So it's just, you know, pact Dice really expanded on the world of Pact and so is Pale. And so this is kind of like, you know, stuff that doesn't really tell you anything about the stories specifically, just, you know, maybe some extra details about the world that shouldn't really affect you, but if you're paranoid, you know. Yeah. Heads up. One one other thing as well that we probably should have mentioned a while ago. Um wait, like, we've said this is safe for Power Readers, and I think Mile End is safe for power Readers. Do be careful if you're a pale only person and you're jumping into the Pact dice documents. Uh, some of those do reference examples from Pact. Um, I believe, like you know, it might just if it's talking about a specific type of practitioner, it may reference a character in Pact um, right. who was of that class or something. Uh, so, yeah. so do be a, a little bit careful there.
0: <laughs> I, I would also give just a general piece of advice to to people who haven't read pact but have read Payout, which is go read pact it's pretty good <laughs> um if you want you can definitely go and read mile end for free uh it's all published and free um we'll link to the kind of overview document that has links to everything else i will warn you though it can I had a little bit of trouble navigating yep. the, the tree of Google Docs that it spread out across. Uh, I accidentally read all of the bonus notes before I ever read the first session, so I got a bit confused <laughs> at the start.
1: But um, I, I, had the, the, I had the opposite problem, where because the bonus documents aren't really table of contented, I read all the sessions and then came back and discovered that a bunch of this stuff that had been getting referenced existed for reals um and i'm I'm definitely saying this as a disclaimer like not a complaint because this isn't like Wildbo has officially published these this is almost just him dumping transcripts and dumping the stuff he made for the players in in a place that they can find it and it's so you know like it's not it it just hasn't had time put into it because that's not what it's meant to be um so yeah it can be a little a little hard to get your bearings at the start but um I suppose we can just tell you what to do if you're still listening and you're thinking about reading it.
0: If you click the the link in our episode description down there, you'll be taken to the overview document that has some notes on the character creation stuff, which you should be able to read first. Uh, But then there is also uh, a link near the top of that document that has all the sessions. Uh, Basically, as you read through the sessions, every so often someone will mention, oh, I found these notes on blah. And then you can be pretty uh, pretty. Guaranteed that those will be down in this <laughs> overarching document, down a few pages. So yes, if you read through the sessions, and every so often you come to someone saying, "Oh, they found some notes," you'll probably find those notes in the uh, in the in the doc.
1: Yeah, basically, the way I read it, um, once I sort of figured out what was happening, is I had the this. It's the second page of the main document open in a tab, and that's the one that has links to all the sessions and links to all the character sheets, which. I would actually recommend reading the character sheets before you read like you know any of the sessions or the bonus stuff because the characters are all introduced, you know, all at once. It's not like a written story. They don't all get time to to shine in the way a normal story does. They all they're all thrown in together and you know the the players all sort of knew where everyone was at when they started and so you need to read these things to be at the same level. Um it wasn't until I started taking my own notes on who each character was and, and like, you know, what practice their parents did and stuff that I actually started to really follow what was happening.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Good recommendation. I, I mean, we, we're we going to talk, I think what we're going to end up talking about is kind of the format of how this works as, as a kind of way of telling stories. Um, yeah. And, and just kind of jump off from there, but yeah, there are definitely some interesting things about how, these characters interact in a way that is uh I mean it's not designed for a reader, right? So you have to kind of <laughs> uh you have to kind of learn who they are over time. I, I feel like I didn't get a good handle on who the characters were until session three or so.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely like talk about that because I, I, I took notes on how I was feeling about that as we were reading the sessions and I filled that out. But I definitely got a huge boost. It was at the end of session one I realized I didn't know who anyone was and I wasn't remembering names. Because the names are tagged mm. by both the character and the player, it just mm. that twelve was apparently my limit, above my limit on how many names <laughs> I can remember. Um, yeah. So specifically focusing on each one's character sheet and like writing my own notes on them just made it so much easier for me.
0: Um, and with that, let's get started, shall we? <laughs> um, yes. So Mile End, what is it, Elliot?
1: Uh yeah. So so Mile End is a district of Montreal. I think it's actually a real one too um and in this setting story whatever uh it's doing very well and basically anyone who's anyone knows why there's this uh fortnightly party held by six hosts uh and the hosts are these families that basically seem to control the region like in in a normal world you'd assume some sort of mafia uh like power control situation since this is you know the other verse. We know that's because they're all practitioners. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, our player characters are actually uh, six children, like one from each of these families, which I thought was a very neat concept.
0: Yes, um, it gave me it gave me major Runaways vibes. I don't know if Wabbler had just yes. been like watching or reading r- Runaways <laughs> before uh, before writing this campaign, but it's it's Runaways esque in that we have these six uh, groups of parents who have become the kind of social butterflies that put on these events and kind of managed Marland. And then their children who are kind of forced by circumstance to, uh, you know, to, to unite.
1: I feel like an idiot. I hadn't made that runaways comparison at all. And now you said it, it's like, how did I not make that comparison? It's, yeah, so, I'm surprised. it's so there. <laughs> that's, that, yeah. That's oh. yeah. Man, I may as well just have introduced it by saying it's, runaways but in the other verse in canada it's
0: canadian runaways yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so b- before we actually dive into the session so can we talk about the character creation just a bit um yes because i think that's the coolest part of packed
0: dice oh yeah i agree I-, I remember when we did all packed up we did our i mean it wasn't packed dice but our packed up rpg campaign and I remember the the thing that I loved the most about Pack Dice that we took into that was the character creation. Where you have this weird like um, bidding on skills and abilities and all kinds of really cool things that set up kind of natural conflicts, even between uh, even between like allies. You know, the the player characters who are ostensibly allies to each other are are in conflict by by virtue of the way that they're doing their character creation. It's great. It's such a good system.
1: Yeah, I I really like. So it, we won't go into the full details here. It's it's there to read if you really want. Yeah, but as Ruben said, the the core of it is that there's multiple steps where players are, are bidding for certain traits. So you like You might bid to be the person who is the strongest or the cleverest or something like I'm butchering the the actual attributes here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like you know, you don't just sort of say, oh, I'm the barbarian and i have these stats you have to bid with the other players to get access to strength or something um and that not only helps you build a bit of a rounded out thing but there's all these extra rules like if two people ask for the same thing at the same level um they either have to figure it out or they can flip a dice and the person who wins wins it but they get some bad karma um Mm -hmm. and just like having karma in this is so fun um (laughs) it's such a great like TTRPG mechanic. I I think I said that like a 100 times during uh Deep Impact. But mm. um yeah, like it's yeah, it's it's a very cool character creation thing. And and of course, uh Walbo added in some extra home rules uh for this campaign, which I thought were worth talking about because um the the biggest one is that Walbo gave the characters oh, th- sorry, the players the choice of their characters either being age 13 or age 15. Yeah. And it was like, if your character was aged 15, you got more, like, skills, like, more, sort of, I don't know, stat points. Um, but you have less room to grow, uh, whereas the people who choose 13, they get to, like, they, they have less skills, but they have more potential, and they also get good karma, which I thought is a nice perk.
0: Mm. And uh, But only one person, only one player ended up choosing to be uh, 13 years old, which I thought was quite interesting. Yes,
1: sir. Uh, Gail played by Campist, uh, I think was the only one who took up on that, which I also thought was funny because I think G- we'll get into this, but Gail right from the start is probably A the one who's least likely to to make good use of good karma. Yes. Um and or actually he's probably the one who needed it the most. So maybe it <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, true, call. maybe that's um, what it was.
0: Yeah. Or or
1: it, but B also like G- yeah, Gale's the one who probably so far was getting the least out of the extra versatility, because Gale just goes full bore for the specialty offered to her by her parents, which (laughs) we'll talk about because it's very fun. Um, Yes. And I I think that was the right choice, but uh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, While we're talking about the characters and the creation, should we just give a quick uh, brief overview of who the characters are?
1: Yeah. I'll try and keep this brief because if it just turns into us listing a bunch of info. um, Yeah. uh, Go read the docs uh, if you want that. Everyone will tune out. Uh, but yeah, uh, so there's, there's Tara, um, who's played by the white Duke. Uh, so Mm -hmm. her parents are heartless, um, practitioners, which we obviously know from Matthew in Pale. Um, and yeah, Tara is like a bit of a mean girl is sort of how I summarized her general, uh,
0: aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, then we have Jojo Justifort, a great name, um, who is played by (laughs) Cold Gold. Uh, who actually isn't the direct child of uh their family. Uh their parents uh died and so they've come to live with their aunt and uncle who are the hosts. Um they they definitely seem to be a bit not in the kind of high society vibe, uh which is a, a fun kind of beat. Um they seem the most chill and nice to me, which made me connect with <laughs> yeah. them almost immediately. Um they're kind of uh practice is uh sympathy. So, you know, connections and and building and manipulating those connections.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's probably the one I, I feel like I have the least grasp on uh at the end of this mm. campaign as it stands. I mean JoJo's interesting because uh there's a lot we'll talk about and where this campaign ends and how much more there was I, I feel to to do with it. Like it's a shame that it had to end. Um Jojo strikes me as the most of that because the, the idea. So, th- there's hints that Jojo's parents may have kind of run away from the rest of the family and, and raised mm. him in New York to try and get him out of this bullshit. And, um, yes, there's even hints that their death may not have been an accident. Um, so yeah, like there's so much cool mystery to build there. And then, like, especially because why, why was Jojo chosen as the heir when his parents have actual kids? Exactly
0: um, right. Yeah.
1: There's, there's like a whole story there that we we haven't found out yet. Um, and you're right. Jojo's just compelling because he's the only one who didn't grow up rich. So he's got this kind of like, you know, uh, God, what's that Will Smith show? The one Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince. Yeah. Um, vibe like, which, you know, I just sort of enjoy seeing the normal person who is sort of having to put up with all these snooty rich kids.
0: Well, yeah. Apart from uh, Sherry, who is another character we'll talk about in a second. Yes, I, I think Jojo is the only one who seems like nice. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> maybe that's, that's a bit yeah. harsh. Um. Anyway, let's, let's continue on. Uh, next, we have June Bell, played by Orf. Uh June is kind of gives me vibes of like the the person who you could see in fifteen or twenty years making a bid for president. You know. <laughs> they're the um, they play the game. They politic. They do that kind of vibe. Yeah, um, they're like, not a bad uh, person, definitely. But they seem to be always about um, you know p- playing the game. I guess is the best way to describe it in my head.
1: Yeah, like the like June is always nice to you and is nice to everyone. But to to sort of get social credit, not to. Like there's this vibe to June of it's like, oh, uh, he's not he's not necessarily doing it because he thinks it's the right thing to do, uh, just morally. He's doing it because he knows if he does lots of the right things, he's basically getting good karma, essentially. Um, and, and, and it puts him in a better position later.
0: Yes. And then he's put into this world where that kind of manifests literally. And I think that's really interesting. And especially yeah. in the fourth session, we have these moments where June is actually kind of forming a real connection with uh, with Gale and Tara as well. And it's this weird dynamic that I found myself really enjoying um, where June is kind of actually forming human connections with people, and I was kind of getting really invested into it. Um, Anywho.
1: Yeah, uh, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, and one thing we, sh- we should also mention, uh, June's uh, parents uh, associate with Fairy, uh, so june's Hooray! June's practice, he gets access to is a bunch of glamour, um, and it's the brighter courts of the fairy so A esque I guess. Um, mm. he's referred to so as a fairy
0: mage a few times, right?
1: Yes, yeah. Um, so like again, th- unfortunately, this campaign didn't go quite long enough for us to fully grasp what that means. He so far has basically just gotten access to a bunch of like a couple of handfuls of glamour and he's used it in cool ways, but um. We didn't actually get to meet uh, the fairy that he mm. associates with yet, which is a a, a big bummer. Again, like, like Jojo, it's like, oh, I wish there was more of this.
0: Yeah. Um, next up, we have Bobby Hall, who is played by Side Zero, who I think is maybe the most interesting of the characters. Not the most likable, <laughs> but possibly oh, I mean, the most interesting. What?
1: Anytime, time, just, just to establish this for the record, any time I'm going to talk about Bobby being difficult or annoying, that this is not... I'm not throwing shade at Side Zero, the, the player here, oh, yeah. because I, yeah. I, this is very much intentional. Bobby is designed to be a pain in the ass. So it's like, just, just to establish, I'm going to constantly reference how much Bobby was annoying me, but I think that's exactly what Side Zero was aiming for. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. So Bobby is... <sighs> The weirdest blend between a, a chess nerd and a disaffected jock that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> that's how it. That's how it came across to me, at least. He seems to both be lower than everybody on the pecking order, but also seems to think that he is the, the, completely above everyone else. And it's such a interesting combination of traits that leads to this person who is. Clearly, pretty smart, but also just like doesn't, doesn't give oh, anyone zero the time charisma. of day. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Uh, yeah,
1: really like uh, uh, it's funny because so the, the character sheets that you'll get in the mile end docs are actually uh, mostly like the original pictures to the character because basically, sorry, pictures to the characters because Walbo said he was going to run this campaign and people like submitted. Pictures for who their characters would be. Um and it's so funny getting to know Bobby like I like I did, learning a little, little bit about him, and then going back and reading his sheet and saying, oh, he's going to be uh a practitioner who sort of is a priest for a god and gets their power yeah. through a god. Um and and suddenly this uh not as great as he thinks but super arrogant uh personality trait just clicked into place. It was like, okay, so yeah, he's just like the these gods, like he's, you know, he yes, he he is very good at what he does, but you know, he fucking acts so high and mighty, like it's it's perfect.
0: Yeah. Um I found Bobby very fun. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh I think any good uh any good group in a tabletop RPG session has elements of conflict between the group, right? Natural elements of conflict. And Bobby is just the perfect Source of those,
1: <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel like Side Zero did a pretty good job of like walking that line of yes. not m- taking it too far. Like, because you know sometimes you have a, a person who plays in these games and just ruins isn't, it for everyone by being too difficult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Bobby, Bobby wasn't that, and he was just kind of yeah. Like he was just stirring the pot a bit in a way that I think was
0: was working yeah definitely um next up we have Sherry Adler, who I mentioned before um Sherry is a interesting character she's she's kind of she's kind of got these elements of like punkiness and and spunkiness and being kind of disaffected, but also clearly is someone that's quite compassionate like she definitely seems to be uh rebelling against her parents but just enough to be um like nice not enough to be a jerk you know <laughs> yeah well it's, it, it
1: it's like i can see the rebellion against her parents thing because her parents i think they dressed very traditionally it was mentioned and they um were very distant and so her being the opposite of that has turned into dressing yes. like a punk but being a very caring and i think the word maternal was used at one point which i thought so yes. like she's just um yeah like she's a natural carer um it, it kind of, like, it, you know, some small vibes of uh, Rachel from Worm, except, like, without the prickly exterior, just, yeah, you know, straight up nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. She's nice. Um, and then we have Gail Newman, who is the 13-year-old that we alluded to, who yeah. clearly is not well adjusted, I guess. <laughs> I, I think that's the defining character trait of Gail. Um her parents were clearly psychopaths, and that's left a strong impression on this thirteen-year-old.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, Gail. Gail is my runaway favorite character. Oh yeah, um, fair enough. Uh, to anyone who's who's followed our podcast for too long, that's probably not a huge surprise if you've read Myland End as well. Um, yeah. So her her parents and 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 Gail herself were scourges, which are practitioners that deal with the abyss which is something we've only heard about um and we get I mean, we get some clues about it I suppose um through, yeah, well there this. is a like,
0: moment where where they take a quick trip to the abyss and it seems like not a friendly place
1: yeah um and and there's this like there's so much taint spreading like uh, gale seems to be able to infect <laughs> things with the abyss and then just spread that and that's bad enough to annoy people so yeah just you know great it seems like a great specialty and it again there's so much in this world of people kind of aligning or their personalities becoming aligned with what they practice um Mm. so you can just see like gail's parents being psychos and this abyss just being uh this sort of taint that spreads itself it's kind of like okay this is starting to line up and i'm questioning why is gail jumping into this so headfirst
0: Mm. yeah um yeah, well, those are our six characters. <laughs> um, um, should we? Yeah, so, should, so I guess the format that we're going to do here is, yeah, we're going to kind of take you through the plot and get, jump in with our notes as we go, similar to um, all our other shows. Uh, but I, I do think we'll start to get into more of the role-playing discussion as we go. Um, I just I thought we kind of just got carried away talking about the characters, but they are – it's interesting. We start our first session and – there, the six characters at this dinner party, and I don't know if you had this, this reaction to Elliot, but I was having a lot of trouble following who the characters yeah. are and what the dynamics were, and it's it, it's very interesting. The characters I think really needed space to breathe to get fleshed out. Um, yeah,
1: and they get that later. Like we'll, we should talk about that because yes. I think that that's a huge huge asset. To because uh, it's hard because I don't wait. Like, I don't think Myland is designed to be like, a consumable product. Yes. Um, So it kind of feels weird to, like, or to to not criticize or make complaints about this, but just say things like this, because it's not kind of what it's meant to be, but um, I suppose people listening to this are probably going to go and consume it. So, um, yeah, it definitely starts out a bit rough if you're not familiar with the characters already.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah, not a criticism, but it's just, it, it. I think, really reaffirms how... Um, how important it is to to measure the, the your characters interactions and how the, like it really demonstrates the differences in format and the way that you can respond between having nice nice kind of measured character interactions and just having oh, introductions and having all our characters suddenly appear at a dinner party. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it really made me I, appreciate Wabo's craft.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like part part of the problem that's sort of coming up here is. It's almost like we have the story, like Wabo chiming in with the major story points, and then in between that, we sort of have almost six competing interludes, Mm. because sort of what's happening is each player is taking their turn, um, and because this is written, like it's not, you know, actually over a table, they don't just, like, say their lines of dialogue or anything. They're talking about what they're feeling, what they're looking at, um... And so it's just a little bit disorienting when you first go in and you don't know them where suddenly they're not using each other's names. So you're not just having to remember the 12 names of, of, you know, the six players and their six characters, but also what they're referring to each other as. Um, And it's like, it's really cool because I think having each character's introduction written by them does add this uniqueness that starts to characterize them, but um, it gets a bit lost in just the overwhelmingness of learning so much all at once.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, they're they're at this party, they're kind of chit-chatting, uh, basically just hanging out as the children in the room while the adults go off and do stuff. Um but then everything goes to shit very quickly. The party <laughs> is attacked and all their parents are hung. Oh
1: no, some get chopped up. They, they all die some get chopped in various up. ways. Um yep. the, the point is basically the last three surviving parents manage to get the kids, tell them uh magic's real go to this address uh that'll sort some shit out we're going to try and survive and they don't um yeah they in fact only last about 10 seconds after managing to fart out that speech um and yeah and then i guess the kids are off to try and get to safe harbor
0: yeah uh the, the, then we basically descended to a chase scene where uh the the characters are running away and uh are being chased by by another and finally make it to the safe harbor this shop only to find it's not as safe as it seems uh well <laughs> it is, but weirdly the owner there has been killed, and uh all we have is this ghost <laughs> this ghost of 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 the shop basically
1: yeah i i mean I re- like this was the moment where I was like, oh yeah, this is wildboat dming because the one thing that we've had to hold on to for this whole session since the shit hit the fan is, if you can make it to this address, that sanctuary, it's protected. Nothing can get in. You'll be safe. And they walk in. The owner's lying on the ground with his throat slit, and there's a ghost of the building itself with its eyes gouged out. <laughs> so you sort of like, yeah. okay, so much for fucking so sanctuary. So much for that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But that was um... a
1: very that was a very wildbow moment for me.
0: yeah it's good stuff isn't it Uh, i love this chase sequence i thought i mean of course this this tracks in hindsight but the way that um and this is something that i think is we've kind of touched on some of the weaknesses of this format here's what i think the major strength of this format is when Wildbo is playing a malicious universe out to get you it lands so much harder knowing that it's not characters that he's made that are probably going to work out fine because it's a story. It's Mm. six people who, if they make a mistake, this is a hostile universe that is out to get them. And it just feels so much more real when the characters are real people, even though it's, you know, I'm reading this after the fact I've, you know, as much influence over it as I do over reading Wildbo's stories, but knowing that he's, you know, out to get them in, in... I mean, he's. you know what I mean, right? Like, knowing yeah, that yeah, there's yeah. people at the other end of this and not pre-planned characters just makes it feel so much more tense in a really tangible way.
1: Yeah, like, I think, you know, there's no doubt that, like, uh, what's it called, actual play or real play or something, like, yes. shows ha- have taken off over the past, like, five years. Um, mm. And I think, like, a big part of that is is because... Or for me, like when I'm watching Dimension Twenty, which I'm doing a lot at the moment, um it's experiencing the story with some of the people in the story is just a very fun mechanic um for a, for a medium, and, and I think that's basically what's working here. Like in this fight scene, is there are wrong answers, and like Walbo kind of knows what they are, but these players don't. um yes. and, and like dice rolls uh, are just great as well. Like Uh, I think it's Bobby who does a poor roll roll to dodge an attack, and then he gets his leg injured, and that's actually that carries through for the rest of the campaign. Um, Yep. So, like, it's those real punishments, which again, like in the in the written story, I'd feel, oh, it's part of an arc, or or, like you know, it it all it's all something that's sort of in place. Whereas in this, it's just like, oh shit, this hurts us.
0: Yeah, it feels like. Well, we'll make the the pale comparison, right? Where the the trio in pale have got resources and they expend those resources as they go but i never really feel like oh they're gonna run out or if they do run out i know it's gonna be part of the story whereas in this it's they've got a specific pool of resources and they're churning through them and it's like you know shit you might be <laughs> fucked
1: <laughs> yeah it's just a different kind of like stakes um yes. that you get in in these actual playthings, things and and you get in this um just as a side note from this, I also really enjoy. So part of the transcripts that have just been put in these Google Docs is um the people requesting whatever bot was in the the Discord to to do their roles. Um, so like you know, just you, you'll sort of get like Walbo saying, "Oh, uh, this other is shooting an arrow at this player," and so then you'll see like the player, and it'll just say like um you know the white duke says roll for good dodge uh and then you get to see what their role was and um like the reactions from them and the other players when the role's particularly good or bad it's it's just a very <laughs> fun like fun way of engaging with the world like because it, it's just a cool way of delivering it because it's like okay i know that this other is about to attack this player and then you get this rough number that kind of represents how good or bad it went. And then you get to find out what happened. So you sort of get to set your expectations in this one way. You're like, Oh, this is going to be bad. Um, it's very fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's good. Um,
1: also the, the comments by the players are just a fun bit of personality. Like, uh, you know, roll for please draw a circle. Good or something. Like, just, <laughs>
0: just fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. Um. All right, so uh next session, session 1.5 is the awakening ritual. Uh so the group awakens. Uh they they use a <laughs> I realize you've called them the menders, which I've just noticed is short for End. I was like, "What what are you talking about?" Yeah, um, does that work? Is that good? The yeah, the menders. The six menders use a special variant uh with seven pillars of human existence. Um, so some of the ones we've already seen from from Pale and two more for Light and Dark uh, to, to kind of awaken as a group. I, we met, should mention seven because there were meant to be seven of them. We yeah. we find out kind of what's happened to the seventh, but it's clear yeah. that's a a plot point that it seems like it's going to pay off more before the end of this story.
1: Yeah, I got the same vibe. Like it's been explained, but not like fully to my mind. It's been explained,
0: like, but it hasn't paid off, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But, Yeah, so there was meant to be a seventh, um, and yeah, more, but uh, like, so, so yeah, this is cool. So, their their parents had decided that to unify the next generation, they were all six of them going to awake or well, seven were going to okay. awaken together, um, and, and so obviously, like, that's cool, kind of, it, but it, like, what I love about this is it's so different to the awakening that we see in Pale, um, like, for starters, as you mentioned, there's these two extra pillars of human experience, so like, because <clears> the the pills of Human Experience, that was the stuff where it was like, you know, the woven object and the skull. The skull, and was the like, coin. You know, yeah. one was fate, one one was death, one was like war. Um, it, that's so interesting to me because I would have thought, like when I first saw light and dark in my head, I actually put them with the elements. Like I assume they were the same ring as mm. fire and water, um, but they're not. They're like, you know, light and dark are part, is part of the human experience, I guess, which makes sense. You have highs and you have lows. Um, I'd just be interested to like that's something I want to see explored in a whole story, <laughs> like um because the light and dark weren't present at all in pale, um yeah. as parts of the awakening ritual. So it's super, and in fact they're not even in the main circle in this. Like wobo has got pictures of it, and it's sort of off to the side. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's just so much cool s- stuff to look at here, and like so each of them has to sit in one of those seven pillars. Like one sits in fate, one sits in death. yeah. Once it's in light and dark, um, got like we could almost sit here and analyze what it says about each of them. That they're in that one, but yeah
0: <laughs> yeah um so yeah they they do their awakening, and there's this weird moment where they all hear uh five instead of six heartbeats um, so that's pretty it's very wild fun. yeah it's <laughs> and it's another perfect example of some stuff that just works better. When your other characters are real people, because these kind of betrayals and twists feel so much more real when they're secrets from you know even the players about what's going yeah. on, um, especially
1: when it's another player betraying the group because in general they're a party, and so these are sort of people you're trusting um like me as a reader, and the players as as players are all sort of putting a bit of trust and connecting with this other character so to have one of them potentially be keeping some kind of secret is, is just yeah. very fun
0: yeah it's so good i love these kinds of twists when it's other people playing the characters
1: this is definitely one of those twists that works a hundred times better in this format of, of actual play than it does in like a normal story
0: yeah um so then uh, after they've uh, awakened they also get to ask questions of sanctuary the spirit of the store
1: yeah so um this this store is it's a it's a manifestation of the spirit of the store and um it describes itself as like halfway between a domain and a familiar which mm. is like very cool um yeah. kind of says it's not really either but like it's kind of close to being both it's it's bizarre so so yeah this this sanctuary is a domain and that's why it's a sanctuary but it's also manifested as like an old dude who makes tea um (laughs) it's it's really cool and yeah they ask him questions he seems seems to know a lot about some things nothing about other things um it's a sort of fun interrogation mechanic from a role-playing perspective like the players getting to ask these questions and learn what it does and doesn't know was just like a cool game mechanic
0: yeah um so they they then are kind of basically just coming to terms with what their magic is, revealing some info to the rest of the group. This part of the session is more or less just kind of planning uh, because, of course, when your characters aren't, you know, omniscient, repre- or not omniscient, but representations of the author's uh, will <laughs> of the plot, they kind of need to think about what they should do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. Like This is something that doesn't really work as well in uh in a regular story um i think my favorite thing about this though was like as five of them are kind of like learning how to use their site which again wild mm. starts to describe how their site works to them and it's it's really cool and unique just like it is in pale um, But but so as five of them are, are f- freaking out learning their site learning some basic magic uh gail Uh, is just sitting in the corner spitting and bleeding on paper and like folding it a bunch and this was like a little plot beat that just worked so well on me because it was like all of the other players were clearly super interested in it but they 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 were having to force themselves to stay in character and not focus on it so much and it was just very fun watching them like start every one of their messages with I took a quick glance at Gail, but then I had to keep doing like <laughs> what the character actually needs to do um yeah. and and I mean why like Gail just chimes in like I, the campest was sending about a third as many messages as everyone else, and it's just like everyone else keeps having conversations, then it's just like Gail keeps folding the paper and cuts her hand again.
0: It's like, what is going on? yeah well, well done stuff, and then of um, course
1: the reveal of it is I still don't fully understand what they did. Uh they shoved the paper into their eyes and then their eyes disappeared for a bit and then they grew back. Um and they're black. Yeah.
0: Who knows what Gail did to her <laughs> eyes? Some kind of <laughs> you know, augmentation, presumably. Um
1: Yeah. Just it's very fun.
0: Yes. Uh so from session two onwards, the group starts to split up and go on little missions together. And I think this yeah. is an this really helps the format of it because it gives the the characters usually groups of three that go off and have little adventures together. And they all worked for me really well. The dynamics of them, the players really uh, flourished a lot more when it was three three people in a scene, I thought. Um,
1: yeah, I, I agree. And because session two ends with them all grouping up together and there's a conversation between all six of them. Yes. And I found that a thousand times easier to read than I did session one. And I think that was right. in part because... I'd gotten so much better grasp on the characters when they were broken up and I could follow threads of just three of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had the exact same uh, thought. So the first group that we follow is Sherry, Bobby and Tara, who go to Sherry's house uh, and have a conversation with Sherry's mother. Uh, And they also (laughs) meet Nathan, who is Sherry's younger brother, who becomes a a character that joins the group for better or worse.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, the logic for going to Sherry's house is something along the lines of, like, Sherry's parents had this wide assortment of stuff and it's about protection and that's what they're really interested in right now. Yes. Um, What's funny as well is, like, Sherry herself is also motivated by the fact that she wants to check on the rest of her family. Um, Yeah. Although, in saying that, they get Nathan. I'm pretty sure they just leave the grandma in the house. uh, Yep. At the end. So I think so. R.I.P sherry's grandma i guess um or
0: just yeah i don't know the fact that she's kind of completely disconnected from reality seemingly i mean she's she's invalid right um yeah yeah hopefully there's enough to, to keep her safe
1: yeah. um yeah i mean sherry's family though is so cool like this is another thread i'd love to get a lot more of uh when if my ever starts up again because sherry's family was running this fucking cult uh slash corporation. Um yeah it, very strange like, especially the the like extra bonus material stuff in the main doc uh whenever it talks about leaflight it's always like this person may not help you but if you make sure that you say I'm an adler and this is for leaflight then they'll do pretty much anything. It's like what
0: is this corporation <laughs> yeah. slash cult? Like <laughs> it yeah it, it has very like techno cult vibes, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, I would have loved to dive further into that. Although, yeah, I think really I could say that about every character. So I should probably just stop.
0: <laughs> I'll just say it a hundred times. Uh, I'm down for it. Um, yes. So this is our first grasp at actual combat because the group has been running away from fights up until now, and it's yeah. it's interesting that like it's not you know roll to attack, roll to do damage. It's a lot more of Wabo setting up kind of combat puzzles, I guess, where the, the group has to take note of things that they see around the house or tricks that they might know to try to solve their problems. But, again, uh, compare this to Pale, where things are kind of planned out to an extent in advance, it's interesting where the people, the, the characters have things that they try that, like, fail you know like they try and say oh i'll use this thing to do that thing and walbo's kind of like yeah i mean i guess it doesn't really do much and they're like dang <laughs> um yeah it's very like raw Th-
1: there's an element of that that's at the mercy of the dice um yes, which is kind of fun like like walbo will give them more leeway if they try something and get a good roll out of it
0: yeah i just thought it's very interesting to see to to have players take on the role of this kind of interpretive magical system, um, again, it just it just feels like it lands so effectively because we know in our hearts it's not just Walbo planning out the solution to a puzzle that he's thought. You know, even if he does it in a you know even if he does it in a naturalistic way, it just feels so raw.
1: Uh, yeah i completely agree and and like um like again as alongside karma this is sort of reason why i always felt that the other verse was so perfect for a, a role-playing game because um the combat in this like at the end of the day all magic is about convincing the spirits so being theatrical and basically trying to convince wildbo through your role play and your uh dice rolls that this will work it, it is the core fundamental of how the universe works. So yeah, exactly. Like that, just, that just translates to such a funny thing because um, you while like in the world you have to pitch to the spirits, so you just sub in a GM for the spirits and yeah, like yeah, it, it's just such a natural fit. Um, and I really love it. And like yeah, you, you see that here. There's this great moment where Sherry tries to claim the house. So basically, there's this other inhabiting the body of her mum, who is basically trying to pretend to be the mum. So Sherry basically claims like i am sherry adler my mother is dead i have now inherited the house it's mine she needs to leave um calling on mm. the magic that's weaved in the house to force the other out um and so then the other sort of is like no i am uh sherry's mom she she uses her i think it's like aurora or something or aura mm. um but yeah and, and so you know and then they're sort of competing to to make this claim and and then that leads to dice rolls and it, it's, it's just like that's that's so fun as a combat mechanic. Like I find that inherently more interesting than I cast Tasha's hideous laughter. Um, and Tasha's hideous they laughter is save. a cool
0: spell, but yeah, I it, get it what is.
1: You're yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah, like, I agree. yeah. I, and, and you're right. Like knowing that the players don't necessarily know the correct solution to this, so they they might stumble their way towards a solution or not. Uh, is just yeah. yeah great stakes. Yeah, the
0: the way this combat resolves is by Bobby kind of being like I'm going to be a cool badass and he like throws his hand down this like chasm and pulls at this like yawning hand that has pulled up out of it and it's like <laughs> this definitely isn't what was meant to happen but it's so fucking badass that you can't help but love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Um
0: yeah, so uh then we get into session 2A2. Uh, which is a little, a little bit of Bobby visiting a shrine, meeting with a group of like Norse gods and choosing his patron.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wait, so no, this—they're this...
0: Greek gods, are they?
1: Uh, one's now. One's Norse, one's Greek.
0: Oh, that explains it.
1: He gets he gets one of each, uh, as or I guess I don't know a job offer is probably the... yeah yeah. So yeah. so basically yeah, this takes place. The combat resolves uh, with the three of them. Uh, Sherry, Bobby, and Tara. Um, They basically lose, and they have to run away with what they can get. Um, Yeah. And then this is set a bit after, and basically Bobby manages to put together... uh, I mean, he calls it a church, but it sounds like it's a street-side shrine. Yeah. Um, And basically pitches to all the gods and says, hey, I want to be a priest to a a god. What have you got? Um, And then... (laughs) I guess his parents must have been pretty fucking legit because Odin and Athena show up. Yeah. um, And that's like, I assume they don't stop by for just anyone.
0: Yeah. You would assume not. So good Um, job to the, uh, to the whole family.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, so Bobby ends up going with Odin. Um, It it seems right for his character. Like I tend to agree. Uh, Athena didn't feel like a fit for me uh, beyond the chess aspect of it. Uh, and then there's hints that, like, if he rejected those two, there were other gods who would be interested, but they'd like charge more to sign up. Mm. Um, but yeah, anyway, so he he signs up and he's now like a priest of Odin. Um, and uh, he starts to visually live up to that in a few sessions. I suppose we'll get there.
0: Yeah, he also has to, as a result of this, as something that he promises to Odin, he has to kind of start acting like a leader, which I thought was a great, um, a beat for him as a character because it basically is a god saying no you have to work together with your group and and it, it's <laughs> so interesting because that is a compelling challenge for Bobby to actually do
1: yeah works so it's a well. really fun role playing challenge
0: yes 100% um so session 2b uh, i suppose uh features Jojo and June who are back at uh, the sanctuary Kind of poking around and exploring, and uh kind of seeing what's around, cleaning up the place a bit, and accidentally starting a fire.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so the other three have stayed at the sanctuary, and this is happening in parallel to the fight uh above. Uh Gail just went to sleep though. She carved her eyes out, grew some new ones, and then just went to take a nap. Which Took a nap. Yep. As you do.
0: Power you pumped out. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I just love the delivery of that though. It was a like session. Session one, I think, ends with Gail gouging her eyes out, growing you once and then saying, I'm going to go to sleep. And then she's just gone from the rest of the set or from the next session. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, yeah. Like, I can't, I can't decide if that was like planned or if it just ended up being that the camp just couldn't make any session two times. So it was just like, oh, Gail's just asleep still. Um, cause it's so perfect either way. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the other highlight of this session to me, so jo- as Jojo and June are, are playing around, uh, Jojo manages to find this cursed wrench, and they yes. decide to interrogate it. So they they bring it to life, um, and it's just a very fun other. Like Walbo, does a very good job of just instantly sort of creating this personified wrench character, um, and then of course the the sort of realization of how it's betraying them is very fun.
0: Well, unintentionally betraying them, right? yeah but that's Maybe? that's like the whole
1: yeah I, yeah I, it, I mean either way it's just because it's like we we sort of know a bit about this wrench and then it's like oh we think it's been cleaned of the curse part and then it's like oh i'm gonna go fix this thing and it just starts knocking stuff over and they just sort of let it keep trying and then the shit sort of hits the fan and it was like oh i mean all the warning signs were there why didn't we see this coming and <laughs> yeah. i was like i didn't either this is great
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, it works very well. This wrench accidentally kind of traps them and starts a fire, which is great. <laughs> um, it's good times. Uh, yes, and then we have session 2C uh, where the groups have kind of regrouped and are planning what they want to do next.
1: Yeah, and, and so this is the moment where I really started to feel like the players had found their flow and their rhythm. Maybe it was just me being able to read it better, but like it felt to me like they were able no, to work uh, off yeah. each other better.
0: A hundred percent I got the same vibe
1: wait this this had a much better flow for me, and i was this was the first time all six of them were in the same room, and I was just able to read like without having to jump back and forth and double check stuff yeah um, um even with semi competing conversations, it just wasn't as overwhelming for some reason
0: yeah uh the the players have found their dynamic, but the group definitely hasn't because they it almost immediately oh, yeah. descends into kind of infighting and chaos. Uh, sherry <laughs> and the group have brought back nathan uh, but uh, it's not nathan it it emerges you know three quarters of the way through this chapter that something has been possessing nathan gail immediately springs into action and blows off his arms which is fucking insane <laughs> and it just like all falls apart very quickly
1: yeah she just like grabs his arms at the elbow so and they just like full-on explode. And then there's this like moment later where she's like, "Mm, that may have been an overreaction. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah. Gail's just such a little murder psycho child. And I love it. Um, But you're right. Like there's so much distrust in this. And I think it's great because I feel like Walbo has very intentionally been seeding distrust into this group. Like they, they brought the wrench to life. They trusted the wrench for a second and it, trapped them and and started a fire uh there's, there's sherry's mom there's nathan like so many impersonations like it's just like i feel like wobbo is constantly not letting them trust anything and that's turning into paranoia in the players at this point and i it's it's so much fun to see like you mm. can tell it's it's hitting the players as well as the characters that everything could stab them in the back and they start to get paranoid and it's so much fun
0: yeah and i think what builds on that is Wild totally lets the characters have private moments. Um, Yeah. You know, the characters have different sets of information that, that the players don't, but the characters do. And then there's these beats where things happen, like Bobby and June go off and have a side conversation, and for a while they're just off doing their own thing and we're just sticking with the main group. And we let us hear what this side conversation was, but first we hear it from them as they go off and come back and then recount the beats of the conversation and this weird kind of d- change in dynamic between the two of them. And it's this really cool vibe of, like, Wabo's willing to let these individual characters be completely individual entities in a very interesting way.
1: Yeah, it's it's really cool. And it's something I wish shows like Dimension 20 or something would do more of is, is have uh, stuff that the players, where the players don't have all the information, because inevitably it does sort of affect decisions when players have information their characters don't um so i actually really liked this especially as a reader getting to go down and see these little private conversations um like you know as the as the reader i want all the information but i like knowing the players may not have it yes Um, you know it's it'd be very easy to overdo this sort of thing like it's it's to be used sparingly but um i liked seeing this here like the the bobby and june stuff was great and i'd love to see i would have loved to see a bit more of stuff like this where as as groups split off, there's just little secrets that are maybe being kept from some of the other players.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. Uh, So they end by kind of planning what they can do in the next session, session 3A, which starts with Jojo and Gale heading over to Jojo's house to scope it out. Of course, on the way there, they are attacked by a puzzle box boy and some goblins.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so the way they get to Jojo's house as well is Jojo's cousin, uh B, comes and picks him up, who and is the, she ends the up being
0: daughter of the these the, parents, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so she's basically she becomes the second person who gets dragged into this by our, our group of six, Nathan being the other. Um, and they're both sort of being set up to be uh blackguards at the moment, which is sort of the term um they use for when you keep someone who can lie around, like, so you keep an unawakened person, and you use them to lie for you as a group? Um, yeah. Which is, like, a really cool idea, but I feel like in Pale, we've been told so much, it's a huge risk bringing people into this world, and this group has already done it twice now, because it was just a bit easier than trying to, you know, distract or dissuade them. And I kind of mm. wonder if that was something Walbo was planning to, uh, like, hit them with, Later, like you know put these these black guards at risk and and have those be massive consequences for the the players if they don't sort it out
0: Mm, mm, yeah yeah i i do like that they've pulled them in um yeah i do love that that they have the autonomy to pull them in i guess is what i'm thinking about here like yeah it just feels again very authentic Like, that's the thing that I love the most about this, is it all feels so authentic in a really lovely way.
1: Yeah, it's a good word for it. Like, having people experiencing the story alongside you who are playing, just it really adds this layer of organicness to to the story.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Um, Yeah, so (laughs) I just wanted to quote this one bit. So um, they're driving in the car and uh, Camtas playing Gale, uh basically has clearly wanted to be paranoid at Wabo's world and ha the character is basically like, hmm, there's actually a non-zero chance we might get attacked while driving to your place. And then it's like, and then Kempis writes, Gail checks out the back window, and then the next message is just from Wabo, who's like, I was literally just going to ask you to make a wits check. Um and then Jojo decides to do that anyway and rolls a one. Um so, like, again, just a hilarious organic moment that you sort of get here where Wobbo <laughs> was getting ready to sneak attack them, and then Gail's like, I'm going to look out the back window, and Wobbo's
0: just like, oh, god damn it. Yeah, because, of course, they do get attacked almost immediately. Um, yeah. Classic. Uh, and I want to read this out. Here's a description for you, Elliot, of one of these goblins. The other goblin behi- beside the box-headed figure is pot-bellied, a face more like a beak, with forehead and nose jutting out, a monocle set in one eye. He holds a cane in one hand and a gun in the other. Yeah, so I think this... I had
1: the same response yeah. to you when I read that it's description. It's our boy. I was it's
0: like... <laughs> Toad Swallow, the, uh, the Batman's the Penguin of goblins. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it, that jumped out to me. I mean, either, either this is a goblin who is very similar to Toad Swallow, or it's the yeah. man, the myth, the legend himself. How um, many
0: monocle goblins can there be? <laughs> there can't be that many.
1: I, I am not willing to speculate, to be honest. Um, but I, I, like, I would put my money on this actually being him. I don't know when Marland is set relative to Pale, because this mm. is halfway across Canada, I believe, from where Pale's and, happening.
0: Uh, Toad Solo seems a bit more uh, like a lean, mean fighting machine than he does in uh, Pale as well. Yeah, well remember
1: in Pale, we're seeing him through the perspective of characters he's sworn not to hurt and also he's sworn to be like chill around. Yeah. Whereas true. This, like this is mean this is mean Toad Swallow that we don't see uh in Pale. Mm. Uh so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I definitely I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it Toad Swallow until proven otherwise.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough
1: also uh toad swallow shoots Gale with a crossbow bolt that has a fat ungainly rat impaled along it, but the rat yeah, is still alive. so so when the when the arrow hits Gale on the shoulder the right then, the so the rat then starts biting on her shoulder as well and scratching her as it tries to get <laughs> off the <Unbelievable>.
0: arrow <laughs> yeah isn't this
1: it's I'd, fucking crazy Uh it's just like yeah like oh what well, I love goblins so much, and this is just like like. The fact that Walbo can seemingly just sort of improv this kind of shit in, in a story like this is so amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. God. Uh, it's... it's uh, he must just have a list of crazy goblin shit that he wants to put into the story. Because yeah. we only just found out in Pale about those, like, farting animal traps, right? Bombs. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Oh. I, I, so... So this one, obviously, since it just has two of the characters, it was quite easy to read, um, which, was, which was nice. But um, something I definitely noticed is there were quite a number of times where people's intent wasn't clear.
0: Mm.
1: Like Jojo would say, oh, I'm going to do this with, um, you know, this item I've got. And uh, Gail would say, oh, I'm going to do this with, with my Abyss stuff. Uh, and Walbo sort of had to be like, not quite sure exactly what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. It's like, I guess that's the other side of like the flexibility of this system is like, you know, sometimes the GM needs to stop and be like, okay, so hold on. What are you, what do you see What are you actually trying doing? to
0: achieve? Yeah. But I kind of like that, like yeah. using the spirits as the metaphor, if they don't know what you're actually trying to achieve, of course, you're not going to succeed.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think it's fun, but it's it. It just this was where it really stood out to me that like often the momentum did have to slow down a bit because like one well, would have to interject and be like, "Can you just explain to me what you actually think this is going to do?" Because that's going to affect how it works. Um, yeah, which I, I agree is ultimately a strength of this system that that's something you can do rather than again. I, I this is just the one D and D spell I know, so I'm sorry for hating on it. you know, Tasha's hideous laughter—it's <laughs> going to do one thing.
0: Why is it? Why is Tasha's hideous laughter the one spell you know? It's so fucking. Uh, what about like fireball or magic missile or something, man?
1: Well, Adion uses it the most in Fantasy High. Oh, in Dimension Twenty, fair
0: enough. <sighs> I mean, it's a good—it's a good spell. I don't think it's <laughs> deserving of this level of. Yeah fanboyism from you I
1: don't know I know I it's just the only one that I can remember <laughs> magic missile is a good one actually I wish I'd remembered that one
0: it's like the spell magic missile is like the spell that every wizard has except oh, and okay. Abernant I guess and um, she might have it
1: I don't know she doesn't use it if she does <laughs> anyway, anyway back to my land
0: <laughs> so yeah uh, so the next session we have Bobby Hall trying to gather some information on what's going on with a vision uh, he, he does a vision and boy it goes badly
1: <laughs> I yeah, mean, it goes like well what? for a
0: little bit it gets them some information I guess
1: I think it's a net gain depending on who you ask but um mm. yeah I, mean, I I agree this is sort of very fun where Bobby's just like I'm gonna try praying to my god to show me the past and it it works and seems to be going very well but uh again Walbo doesn't want these players trusting anything
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's so brutal. Uh, I love it. Um, yeah. The so, way so that Bobo... Yeah, sorry. Why, no, why don't we explain you, what you, it is first?
1: You, you say it. You say it.
0: It's, so Bobby has this vision, and it's great, and he's getting so much information. And then it becomes... Well, no. And then one of the characters in the vision walks up to near where Bobby is and picks up their fingers and just jams them into his eyes. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> it's so wild. And it's a great, like... It's a perfect example of how well Wabo is just able to make everything seem so dangerous in such a naturalistic way. It really is brilliant.
1: What I love about this as well is in Pale, we've been getting it hammered into us that if you look at something with the practice, there's always the potential to look back. And we see that here because, yeah, clearly, like, Bobby's not just viewing time or, like, is able to change or anything. It's like he was always there watching and they reacted to it the whole time. Uh mm. it's it's so great. Again, it it's instilling this paranoia and distrust in the universe, in the players. Um it's so great. And and you start to see again that paranoia, like Sherry immediately turns to verifying that Bobby is still him and he hasn't been possessed by the thing that reached through with yeah. his fingers. Like the yeah. the the players are just starting to get the like, I'm refusing to let this stuff keep tricking me.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, it's like the yeah the paranoia that builds up in these players over the course of this these sessions is so beautiful and delicious to watch <laughs> unfold.
1: Yeah, while Bo, there's definitely moments where I feel like WaBo just has them like puppets dancing on a string. Um, yeah, which is exactly what you want from a GM, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, um,
1: but yeah. So, and as you said, this is this is one of the biggest, juiciest uh exposition segments for like learning about what the fuck is actually going on in the story of this uh campaign we we kind Uh, of
0: understand by the end of this that uh there was basically someone who they thought was an ally to the marlin group came into the sanctuary uh freed a bunch of dangerous others and led a rebellion coup something of the sort against these parents uh yeah i kind of almost got the
1: impression that that person i think it's like miss metcalf or something yes uh she was being possessed by the other that we wait or that we saw possessing sherry's mom
0: yes true that that definitely comes across um it it Uh, is a little bit unsure of why that's happening or what's going on here in the grander scheme but we at least kind of know what the backstory to the coup is now
1: yeah, and we get like this sort of hard confirmation, a bit more details on like there's five enemies, like the the enemies that are trying to kill them are known as the five, and we're kind of getting more details on exactly what those five look like yes. and what they can do.
0: Yeah, um, so we we then move into session four. The first part of session four is called session four Monday. Uh, we haven't <laughs> mentioned it before, but the the players have been operating on this clock where. Uh, The news kind of has this magical thing that is going to prevent it from really getting wind of this story that these, you know, powerful socialites have all been murdered uh, for a few days, for about two and a half days. When this clock runs out, it's going to become a lot more difficult for this group to kind of manage control of the area and not just fall away to, you know, outside influences or all kinds of things like that. So they basically have two and a half days to get things under control. Um,
1: Yeah. And and so this was... This was Sherry's parents' deal and was basically apparently what got them on the council. Like they had built this thing that yeah basically allows a 3-day window between anything happening in Mile End and it hitting the news and that basically allowed this council of their parents to control everything because that gave them a 3-day head start on managing any crisis.
0: Yes. Um that time is about to run out basically. <laughs> and so on monday the group has to plan what they're gonna do next and that's what session four monday is about yeah and and
1: credit to the players i really sort of felt the morning after vibes from every character here um like this felt like they had had a big night because the other three sessions were all taking place in the first night on that night yep um and so then it's it's you know it's like they've all sort of slept and and recuperated a bit and now it really felt to me like after a big night everyone's sort of coming together and being like okay now what like i i don't know just totally it, it really felt it i so i just wanted to credit the players to sort of I, I thought this was really good role play how i felt that change in all the players or yeah. in all the characters
0: yeah yeah definitely um yeah i i love how the group they have a chance to kind of recuperate they've caught their bearings a bit. And now they're, you're feeling the dynamics starting to emerge and solidify between them. Um, like, obviously, Gale and Sherry have quite a stressed relationship after Gale has blown up Sherry's brother's arms. <laughs> I mean, they're getting better. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, they are getting better. That's true. So thank God for that. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think the 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 highlight to me of this is how well these players kind of build out the... Uh, relationships between their characters in such a nice way
1: yeah like uh my my favorite bit was uh gail writes jojo this really heartfelt note yeah. um yeah just sort of explaining why she is the way she is and she's sorry and she wants to get. yeah it was just it was adorable and jojo's response was so spot on like uh yeah Uh, I I agree. I I think we're really starting to see the characters play off each other in really fun ways at this point.
0: Yeah. Um, So then we get into our final session, session four, uh, where Tara, Gail, and June go shopping for clothes and have to start to bargain with the other powers that be.
1: Yeah. I mean, this session is very fun. They, they run into some other or another in every store that they go to. (laughs) Um, and you can it kind of tell like
0: just how many others there are around Mile End.
1: Yeah, and and, and I, I felt like from a gameplay perspective, like Walbo was really just starting to prod. Uh, so our three Tara, Gale, and June who've gone shopping, like Walbo is just prodding them uh, to to see what they're willing to do, what risks they're willing to take. Like there's this one other who releases a bunch of snakes in a pet store. And they they sort of go to stop it, and the other is like, "Oh, please don't! Um, like, just let the snakes attack those people. They're kind of non venomous, so it won't be too bad." Yeah. And the players are all, or the characters, the player characters are all kind of like, "Hmm." And then he's like, "Oh, they were talking about buying the snake, and they didn't sound like they were very prepared. So I didn't like that. That's why I'm letting the snakes attack them to change their mind." Mm. uh also i'm very connected to powerful others who want to see you that's also why i'm here and then all of them are just kind of like yeah okay we'll let this attack keep going." there yeah exactly <laughs> and like you can just tell like wobbo's trying to draw these lines and see what side they're willing to to, to land on as characters it's really cool
0: yeah yeah definitely uh um, like
1: as a kind of soft challenge uh it's like <laughs> well are you gonna start something or not
0: yeah, where where is your morale going to fall in this situation?
1: It also worth mentioning, are they in the pet store because they need to buy animals to kill? Uh yep. Because Tara and Gail both get a lot out of animal carcasses for their practices.
0: Yay! Yeah, there's a weird moment where they're speaking with another other, and the other's like, "Oh, I'm going to go hunt somebody," and they're like, "Oh, can we have the leftovers?" Yeah, <laughs> it was like, yeah, oh. I think it's Gail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> weird like, yeah it doesn't yeah
1: gail like negotiates for some leftovers of a body and the other's like usually i consume the whole thing but i suppose we can work something out <laughs> it's just like okay <laughs> sure um yeah but, but also they do go to the pet store because tara has decided that gail's a little psychopath and needs a dog so she'll be more connected to the world which i yeah
0: terrible idea so, tara
1: i i disagree i i, I think as a as a story move this is fucking fantastic sure. watching gail try to connect with the dog is going to be great
0: <laughs> ah, bad idea um so <laughs> then we get into this kind of bargaining where the group uh meets some powerful others that are clearly kind of invested in how this mile end scenario is going to play out and have to bargain with them um and this is the stuff that I, I, I'm so glad that we started to see. Here. And I'm sad when we get stuck into it that we don't get to see how it resolves. Because um, I'm just so eager to see more bargaining, like to see them having to bargain and negotiate conversations and all this stuff that I think was the real fun stuff in Pact or in Pale. And we, we haven't seen much of it yet because it's been all, oh shit, how do we survive, you know? Um, mm, mm. Setting up these kind of word puzzles i think is just so interesting such interesting different types of like puzzles literally puzzles that you have to kind of negotiate your way through i think that's great
1: yeah I, and i mean that's only possible and it's such an otherverse thing because of this whole you can't lie mechanic yes um which r- results in people telling half-truths and distracting and, and turns it into a puzzle that can be solved as you said rather than just a mess um so, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, I, I was very hype as this sort of ends for them to meet these big, powerful others who, I think, say they've gotten an offer from uh from the, the five, five their enemies. Yeah. So we were going to get so much juicy gossip. I um, know. Ugh, also, hurts. they just went into the a sort of spirit world adjacent place to meet them. Uh, and Gale carries her dog in and the, the dog basically does a snowdrop and becomes yep, an other dog.
0: An, Exactly,
1: uh and uh, yeah. So this is where it ends, basically. I guess to 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 let everyone down. It was just like that. It I, I really felt like things were really hitting their stride in sessions three and four. Oh my god! Uh, I was getting so invested, and then it just ends with this dog doing a snowdrop, and I was heartbroken.
0: Yeah, it's so tragic because you. Re- I really was getting so invested, and just when it's getting so good. That's it. That's the end. Oh, <laughs> sad. Yeah. I, I
1: like, because, I, I, I mean, you know, I saw Walbo talking about trying to start Mile End back up, but I think it was, like, at the start of the year. Mm. And I assume it's not happening while he's already writing Pale, because I, like, I think doing something like Mile End while writing, like, a story like Ward, it's, it's like a break, you know, to dip into these other universes. Like, now... Yes. He runs Pho Sundays um, while he's writing Pale, which is like you know his, his a, a chance to step into a different headspace for a bit, just probably for his own sanity. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't see something like Mile End or even Poke uh, going anywhere while Pale is running. Um, mm. And then you know my concern would be by the time Pale finishes, Mile End might be too far in the distance to come back. So I'm not I, I'm I'm not getting my hopes up that it's coming back but uh i'm sad that that's probably the case
0: mm, yeah no i agree um i i suspect if we yeah i don't know. i don't think we'll get mile end continuation i think maybe Wabo might revisit it and like flesh it out a bit more but not as a you know a role-playing thing i think it would be more of a you know oh there's a, a part of Pale where they go and visit this other place in Montreal and see what the situation is there and meet Jojo Jostafort. Or just have
1: a throwaway line about this this council in Mile End and this happened just in some extra material in Pale to sort yeah. of wrap it up. Um yeah, yeah, like I feel like I feel like by the time Pale's ending and Walbo is maybe Jonesing to do something like this, if he ever is, it'd probably just be at the point where you just start a new one.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. Mile Um, end two, but the two is backwards and looks like an S and makes it called smile end, and then, (laughs) well twist. You know? Sure. That's the twist. I can't wait. Yeah. Speaking of things (laughs) coming to an end, (laughs) anyway, we should talk about the bonus documents, shouldn't we, a little bit? Yeah, we really um, should. There's this, basically, Wildbo wrote a lot of stuff for this, stuff that he gave to the players, Um Basically collections of miscellaneous documents and bits and pieces.
1: Uh, Yeah. Like, I think I already mentioned, but, like, God, I'd love a sort of table of contents for this stuff because it's just sort of spread over 60 pages of this Google Doc, and sometimes I didn't know stuff was there until I'd read way past that session. Um, But it's such cool stuff. Like, this almost feels to me like this is is proto, um, like, extra material from Pale.
0: Hmm. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um. You know, he wrote out a full dramatis personae, like details on every person that existed. Like he basically wrote out a bunch of stuff. It was awesome.
1: Um. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It, it is very similar to some of the extra material bits we've gotten. Like the yes. You know, the dramatis personae is quite similar to the student guide we got recently in Pale. Yeah. Uh, the Awakening Ritual stuff is similar to some of the spell notes we've gotten. Um, like they, we've gotten bestiaries, which kind of feel like some of the notes on others, like it's all very, yeah, you know, different and prototypey versions of a lot of the extra material stuff. I uh, think the
0: one part that we haven't seen an equivalent in pale of is these interview notes, which basically read like Wabo's own little versions of SCPs where he has written out like transcripts of interviews that Mr. Martin, the owner of the shop who dies, uh, has done with these others that were kind of passed into his care to be kind of purified or disposed of or whatever.
1: Yeah. We we haven't fully established his whole thing was that people would bring him cursed objects and he would sort of slowly purify them of the curse and try to keep the power. Yes. Um, And that often took the form of manifesting them as, as like incarnations. And interviewing them to try and understand the ins and outs of how they work um, which is just such a cool idea
0: yeah and leads to some very compelling interviews
1: uh, yeah uh, I mean yeah Like these, these things are just so fun they, they haven't gone anywhere at this stage in the story no um, but kind of almost just like the extra material in Pale I just love the shit like Walbo's just so incredibly capable of just seemingly throwing out Insanely cool world building for this other verse. Uh, and that's a what a lot of these are.
0: Yeah, I really loved reading them. I've pulled out some lines from them, but I actually don't want to read the lines because it's kind of like, just like, honestly, even if you don't want to go read Myland, just go read these interview notes. They're just basically Wabo writing short stories about creepy others and they're so good. Um, yeah. There's one called The Wrong Number, which is just a phone number that <laughs> fucks with people. And it's like, what? Like, it's insanely well-written and so compelling.
1: Yeah, it it reminded me of the Gilded Lily stuff from very recently yes. in Pale. Yes. Uh With the, like, it's just a, a timeline of all the times that fucked people up. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's also, like, a, a, a bestiary of uh, just, I don't know, all sorts of others and, and spirits in the area
0: yeah one of the ones mentioned is the alabaster and we get descriptions of the alabaster doe who obviously appears in uh pale
1: yeah well it's kind of it's more generic it's like all alabasters in general Um, yes true but uh, definitely there were definitely a few lines that jumped out to me in the alabaster uh descriptions here that i was like oh is that going to be relevant like one of the ones that almost felt like a red herring is there's a bit where it's like uh in trying times, the alabaster can step into other roles, such as the role of war, um, if it feels that it's not being handled correctly. Yeah. Which like felt like a red herring for the alabaster killed the carmine beast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh, like, planning was like, it all okay.
0: out from the beginning.
1: <laughs> Wildest fucking clue in the world, if that ends up being what actually happened. Um, yeah. I, I thought the other... Not from the not from the bestiary here, but uh, in session four we, we didn't specify, but the big spirit they meet right at the end is this giant centipede spirit. That's mm. like the big spirit in charge of the city, uh, and that spirit is all like, oh yeah, centipedes spiritually represent cities. And mm. I was like, hey, well, our, doesn't our golden boy? Isn't that a boy on top of a giant centipede? Mm. So, uh, sort of another, uh. Pale Supreme Court uh adjacent other from the looks of it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of little bits and pieces in here that might help you shape your next big pale fan theories. <laughs> um,
1: uh yeah. So if that's if that's the, the final thing you needed to tip you over to finally reading Mile yeah. End, uh there you go, right at the end.
0: There you go, gotcha. Yeah. Um all right. So that's Mile End. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Mile End Club, folks. Great to have you. Yeah. Yeah,
1: this was a very different episode to prepare for. I don't know how different it's been to listen to, but um it was kind of a fun experiment, I think. On our end at least.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sort of this fun episode. Um if you want to discuss the mile end uh mile end, you can do it by going to the discussion thread, which we linked down in the show notes down below.
1: Uh yes. You can also rate PAL reflections on uh i or apple Podcasts, stitcher wherever you're listening to it uh hey maybe you're someone who doesn't normally listen to power reflections uh please you know subscribe give Try us a five star review yeah. and even listen maybe if you feel like it
0: yeah uh, if you want more content more power reflections content you can check out our twitter at MediaMD Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um that's where you'll find elliot's live reads and just kind of general musings about you know the state of the world
1: pale it's mostly pale
0: Mostly pale stuff here yeah. <laughs>
1: um yep uh you can also go to doofmedia.com if you're sick of Ruben and I's voices and you want to hear something else on the on the doof network uh yep. if We're if i up. get this podcast episode out when i meant to uh it, then i can safely say last week the doofcast celebrated its 100th episode um
0: yes which means 2 weeks ago the doofcast celebrated its 100th episode. So go and check that out. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Ooh, gotcha, burned ya. <laughs> Ah, good times. We have fun here. We have fun here, Elliot.
1: Um, yeah. But no, it's a good episode. If you don't normally listen to the doofcast, this is a good spot to jump in and just hear them talk about what it's normally like.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, if you want to support uh, any of the the great shows on the Doof Media Network, you can go to the website, which is doofmedia.com, or just skip the rigmarole and go directly supporting the shows by going to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia and become a patron. You can support all these shows that you listen to and enjoy.
1: Uh, Yep, and don't forget to stop by Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Wabo, because, you know, he doesn't just write these stories that we all read and listen to podcasts about. He also... Runs ttrpgs that we w- listen or read and listen to podcasts about so throw in yep. some money if you can
0: yeah and i guess that's the end of the mile end club we've reached the miles end club
1: the the, the last mile the last final mile, mile. what what's
0: that movie? closing anyway? mile we call it see ya One day, we all woke up. We knew our names, we knew each other's faces, but we didn't know our history. Humanity had fanned out across the stars, and nobody could remember when. We knew one thing, though, where we came from. Looking at our maps, the known universe was a ring, and in the centre of that ring, there was nothing. Consulting the spirits, speaking with our familiars, attempting to divine more knowledge, it all came up empty. We had come from somewhere, deep in the blackness, and it was no longer there. We lived on the outskirts for a while and had started to build new homes and lives for ourselves when it started to spread. People kept waking up and missing pieces of their history. We eventually figured out that the blackness was expanding swallowing up settlements that were too close to it, and erasing them. Humanity did the only thing it could do in the face of an unknowable threat. We ran. We continued to venture further and further into the unknown, never stopping for too long. Humanity lives its life on the run. Welcome to Pace.